Uh, DTE is making progress on restoring the power outages. I believe it got up to uh, uh, 200,000 yesterday. Um, and, and there were some planned power outages. They, there, there were some places where they had to cut power to people who had power to uh, fix, fix a wire or something. So got up to about 200,000 uh, outages at the highest point yesterday. 80,000 people still without power and uh, don't look now supposed to get more storms this afternoon with uh, a possible uh, flooding downpours, uh, possible hail, possible damaging wind. Well, whatever happened to like just a nice thunderstorm, you know, a, little, a steady rain, a nice rolling thunder, uh, some sheet lightning. Now every single uh, now, like every single uh, forecast of, of, of stormy weather, uh, you're moving your car uh, away from trees and you're just praying your basement doesn't flood. Perhaps it has something to do with July being the uh, hottest month on record uh, ever since they started uh, keeping records. That that might have something to do with it. Uh, so, yeah, yesterday, absolutely brutal day in court during uh, Ethan Crumbly's Miller hearing to determine if he is going to ever be eligible uh, for parole um, for the Oxford High School shooting. Uh, earlier on in the day, and by the way, every detail that came out from court yesterday that, that Karen McDonald uh, Oakland County prosecutor laid out was more horrific than the next, starting with Crumbly's journal, um, which was the f- the first piece of evidence they showed. And I didn't know this detail, but uh, uh, apparently he left this journal on the boys room floor at Oxford High School. It shows me that this uh, a lot of this was very uh, premeditated and, and orchestrated. And he wanted this journal to be found. Um, one entry read that he wanted to kill a pretty girl with the future so that she could suffer just like him and that he wanted to record the shooting so that the people in court can watch their children and friends dying. Um, there was also uh, detailed graphic descriptions about animal torture and, and, and killing a family of baby birds. And, and he admitted that uh, he, he knows he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. I that that's that's absolutely chilling and you know the the fact that he prophesied in this journal um what exactly what happened in court yesterday where they did watch the recordings of of the shootings and and, and uh, understandably uh, a lot of the family and friends in the courtroom had to leave the courtroom um it, it, in a sick in a sick way it's almost getting him what, giving him what he wants Obviously, the legal system, uh, these these things have to happen. He needs to be prosecuted to the, the fullest extent of the law. But that that absolutely made my stomach churn. Uh, they also looked into his Internet history and uh, a couple of things he looked up. Uh, he looked up places to buy firearms. He looked up how deadly certain caliber of bullets were, as well as the layout of Oxford High School itself and whether or not Michigan has the death penalty. And uh, how many school resource officers carried guns, what the average response time is for a shooting. And uh, it didn't stop when he went to prison because uh, they were looking through these torture sites that he was browsing on a prison tablet. And then the uh, afternoon session, as if that wasn't enough, uh, they played chilling audio recordings that Crumbly made the night before uh, about how he was going to be the Oxford High School shooter. And that he couldn't stop thinking about shooting up the school. It was a long, rambling, 22-minute 
piece of audio where he just sounded like like pure evil. And then um, the final witness was a teacher who was actually shot and survived, uh, testified um, about being shot and about trying to uh, keep herself safe, uh, trying to barricade the, the door of her classroom with filing cabinets. And, and she talked about a heartbreaking text conversation that, that she had with her husband, uh, thinking that it, it might be the last time that, that he talks to her. Um, Karen McDonald, again, laid out a very strong case. And this this couldn't have been easy for, for anyone in the courtroom. I mean, I was watching the, the cleaned up FCC acceptable highlights on the news, and it was hard for me to watch. I couldn't imagine being in court all day. And then you got to go back to court today at 830, and, and who knows how, how, how many days after this. But, you know, Karen McDonald, as if all this evidence wasn't enough, said that the reason why Ethan Crumbly should be the one uh, exception about a minor getting life in prison without parole is because he made the conscious decision to not kill himself. He made the conscious decision to not kill himself because, A, he wanted to watch the family and friends of the victims suffer. He wanted to see the chaos. He wanted to see the aftermath. And uh, he wanted to um, he, he wanted to be remembered and infamous for this. So um, second days at 830, we're going to be talking to Todd Flood about day one. But uh, it just had to have been an absolutely... Uh, just brutal day in court for everyone involved. Um, yesterday, uh, uh, up and down day for, for Donald Trump in court, mostly down. Um, earlier on in the day, Donald Trump's legal team met with uh, members of Jack Smith's legal team investigating the former president's role in January 6th. The same day, the grand jury met at a federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. Now, Trump posted on True Social that his team was not told an indictment was imminent. Uh, other sources say that an indictment is imminent in his role in January 6th. And this is a this is pretty much a courtesy um, given to the defendant's legal team before a formal indictment is issued. Um, and uh, Donald Trump met with uh, Jack Smith's legal team uh, back in July before he was indicted um, for um, the uh, Mar-a-Lago uh, classified documents case. Which there's new charges in because later on in the day, a new third defendant, as well as Donald Trump, were handled new charges in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. Uh, Donald Trump faces uh, two charges of obstruction of justice for allegedly um, ordering staffers to delete security camera footage at Mar-a-Lago, as well as um, willful retention of national defense information in, in, in connection with that uh, uh, Iran military attack plans that he was caught talking about on tape at his New Jersey golf course back in July of 2021 and uh, saying that he could have uh, declassified back when he was president and he didn't. So um, who knows? Lots of <laughs> it's Friday, but uh, it's not going to be an easy news day. So just keep an eye on all of that. Um, the Department of Justice launches an investigation into patterns and practices 
of the Memphis Police Station. Fox's Jeff Manasso has the details. Assistant U.S. Attorney General Kristen Clark of the Civil Rights Division says the investigation into the Memphis PD will look collectively at stops, searches, and arrests, use of excessive force, and possible discriminatory policing. Every American deserves fair constitutional non-discriminatory policing every american that includes here in memphis and in every corner of our country the justice department probe after similar investigations of police departments in minneapolis and louisville found that officers violated the constitutional rights of minorities prompting change within those and other police departments jeff manasso Fox News. And the DOJ says this probe is not based on a single event, but it does come nearly seven months after the beating death of black driver Tyree Nichols by five officers. Um, officers who are also black have pled not guilty to the charges. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed a bill outlawing gay conversion therapy that was passed earlier this year. Senior news analyst Marie Osborne on JR Morning with Chris Renwick and Lloyd Jackson. The The governor has signed another bill, this time targeting conversion therapy. The legislation will ban conversion therapy in the state of Michigan. Conversion therapy is the practice of trying to change somebody's uh, sexual orientation. So the idea of conversion therapy is if you're you're gay, to make you not gay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now Governor Whitmer has signed that legislation. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us this morning with more. Good morning, Marie. And good morning. 21 states currently ban this practice of conversion therapy, making Michigan 22 on that list. The bills signed by the governor ban licensed mental health professionals in Michigan from practicing conversion therapy on LGBTQ plus minors. Republican Senator Mark Huizenga, the only GOP member to vote with the Democrats in favor of this bill. The legislation, by the way, didn't garner enough GOP support to take immediate effect, so instead it'll take 90 days after this legislation uh, after the legislature adjourns for this to take effect according to the american association of child and adolescent psychiatry there's no evidence that conversion therapy is effective the american medical association has come out and says the practice doesn't work earlier this year wisconsin republicans voted to allow therapists social workers and counselors to try to change lgbtq clients gender identities and sexual orientation Julianne Appling is the president of a conservative group called Wisconsin Family Action. She says that banning conversion therapy infringes on counselors and social workers and therapists' free speech rights. Uh, she said that uh, a, a, would, uh, she would not, uh, she said this legislation should not be allowed to threaten their careers uh, for exercising freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, and freedom of religion. Now, the head of the Michigan State Medical uh, Society applauded Whitmer for banning this therapy, saying that this practice lacks rigorous scientific validation. A survey by the American Public Health found that LGBTQ youths undergoing these so-called cures were more than twice as likely to report having attempt suicide. And one last thing, uh, this practice dates back to 1899. That's when a German psychologist claimed that he could change sexual orientation via hypnosis.
I want to know. So, so Marie, how does this conversion therapy work? What what goes into trying to convert a person from you know their sexual orientation or their gender identity? It's wide and it's varied. It depends, uh, you know. And there's not a lot of literature out there. I might say there mm-hmm. there is some, uh, and it just depends who's doing this. Um, in some cases, it's very religious based. And in other cases, um, they do use some hypnosis uh, as well as talk therapy. So it just, it runs the gamut really on how this uh, so-called conversion therapy works. So this legislation, uh, 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 well, was was weighed in on by the Trevor Project. They're an advocacy group for LGBTQ plus minors um, as it pertains to conversion therapy. They claim that an estimated 15% of LGBTQ minors in Michigan have reported that they have been threatened with or subjected to conversion therapy as of 2022. My question is, how many, how many therapists, how many people in the state of Michigan are, are, are engaging in conversion therapy? Because it's not like you can go to a building for conversion therapy. It's not like it's a standalone nope. store. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I guess I have seen no numbers on, in, the, in, the, in the real world of application of conversion therapy in the state of Michigan that would suggest that this is happening in mass. Exactly. So there was a, a nationally known uh, religious group that uh, had a list of places you could go to get this kind of therapy. I was unable to find that list, although I was told it was previously available. So there's there's that. So I think these uh, lists, if you will, or these places are known to certain people, to certain communities, but it's not widely circulated, not widely published. Yeah, I was going to that was that was going to be one of my questions. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you find these places or are these places found more by church, church organizations and religious organizations than just yeah. the general population? I think that that's exactly how it's done. Exactly. So the, are, are the Republicans contesting that this isn't an issue? This is more of a of a of a of a political move that the that the governor is making and that, that the Democrats can can claim as a win on their side. Um, how, how are the Republicans uh, reacting to this? What have they said? So there's been a lot of silence on this in terms of Michigan uh, legislators in terms of how they felt about this in Wisconsin when this passed. Uh, they they made it clear that they were uh, uh not banning the practice because of a legislative um, sort of uh, mechanism thing that they weren't following the rules on how they were passing it, so that's why they didn't want to uh, rescind the the uh, the ban. So they um, so in but all I can say is that this group, the Wisconsin Family Action Group saying that they think that banning this kind of therapy infringes on the work of counselors and social workers, and they think it's a free speech right. I mean, I get it. I, 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 I the only problem I have, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree that this should be happening. But, but the only problem I have is the data that would back this up, that this is happening all over the place. And this is a pervasive problem that we need to tackle with legislation. And unfortunately, I don't have that. We're not going to get that, I don't think. I don't know how we get that. But but there just isn't a whole lot of data to back it up. And 
I guess we'll see um, when this takes effect in 90 days and how that impacts people, and, and we'll kind of go from there. Right. Right, but you're referring to the data that how many people, how many people actually are, are, have yeah. been yeah, threatened with this. Not, not, even, uh, not even threatened with it, but how many people are actually providing this type of therapy. Yeah, yeah. So that's what you're referring to, not to the data, because there is data, scientific data, American Medical Association and other, uh, uh, the American Association of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, uh, who, uh, who all say that... Um, that this doesn't work. The sure. American public health is another one. Sure. So it, that's different. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. To. No, correct. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it, stubbing your toe hurts, but we don't know how many people stub their toe every year in Michigan. You know what I mean? It's, we don't have that type of data. And that's right. where I think the, the, the issues here may be with the Republicans lie. Uh, Marie, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's interesting because uh, I almost, again, for me, view it, view it a little bit as political. Well, you know, the, the, this this feels like a notch in the in their win column, and they can maybe tout this uh, in, a, in in the next election. Well, the governor is the mother of a member of the LGBTQ community, sure. So as well, so you know, sure. she was yeah on board. And and I mean, look, I, if this is happening in mass, I don't think that's right. I mean, I I, I you know. You can use hypnosis to, they say, to cure your, Stop your smoking, smoking addiction. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know how true that is. I don't know how I don't know how valid that is. So I don't know that that we need to be engaging in this type of of therapy, quote unquote. But at the same time, again, I don't know how big of an issue it is. I don't know how widespread this is because we don't have that information. And and that to me is is where I think the disconnect lies. Coming up. Does Woodward need a road diet taking away a lane of traffic through Ferndale to make it more pedestrian friendly? Well, a stretch of Woodward and Ferndale is going to be going on a road diet. What's a road diet? Ferndale manager, uh, city manager, go Joe Gaucho explains to Chris Renwick. You know, it's interesting because with the the adoption of traffic circles, there was this collection of people losing their minds uh, at at one point or another. When when these things started popping up, people couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand why it's beneficial. And and we've come to understand since that when you're going through these intersections, whether it's a stop sign or a traffic light. They're dangerous because people aren't paying attention sometimes, and that can cause higher-end speed collisions. Well, with the traffic circles, what it's forcing you to do is slow down. So even if there were a collision in a traffic circle, they're relatively low speeds, not as much damage, and heaven forbid a pedestrian's involved, the likelihood of them being okay is, is higher. Well, now we're starting to see what's called road diets, and we don't have a ton of them here in the state of Michigan, but we are starting to see them pop up in places like in Kalamazoo and in Ferndale and Pleasant Ridge along that stretch of Woodward. Uh, Ferndale City Manager Joe Gacho is with us, and and this, I understand, Joe, has been kind of a labor of love. This has been a long, you guys have been processing, looking at the pros and cons of installing these road diets in this portion of of the town. Before we get into what these are exactly and and, and how the roadway is going to change and evolve, I want to talk a little bit about the process that you and, and others in the city of Ferndale have gone through to weigh whether or not this would be beneficial or not. Yeah, sure. You know, um... I'll spare you too much history, but I will take you back, you know, about, I think, 2014 or 2015, city council 
opted to uh, adopt a complete streets plan for locally for the city of Ferndale. And a complete streets plan really just has the city step back and reconsider what uses and what are the priorities uh, that make up a street, right? And so the metro area really is focused on vehicles as the priority for years, getting people from point A to point B with vehicles. But it's really less concerned about the local traffic. It's less concerned about safety. It's less concerned about pedestrian accessibility, mm -hmm. specifically designing to the pedestrian first. And so the complete streets just says, let's take all these other modes and, and things into consideration. And that's that's what we started with in 14. And then you see uh, Ferndale actually is, is not a stranger to road diets. We had a first road diet in, to Livernoy uh, in okay. about 2017, 2018. And that really is... Um, you know, that's a project that really established on-street parking for the first time, but it also established protected bike lanes mm -hmm. uh, as a key conduit connecting into Detroit. And what you see from that is really, uh, my view, uh, a thriving neighborhood that is now interacting within the businesses on that corridor more so than it was before. You see new businesses popping up that are slower uses, like, um, you know, Hubford neighborhood, former Axel Brewing Company, now the Ferndale Project, is there, and that's become a hood a hospitality. It's, and it's, it's, it's frankly drawing people to that business. And I think mm -hmm. you're seeing more retail spaces uh, pop up in that business uh, or in the, on that corridor. So uh, there's, some, there's some safety principles or some economic principles at play here. On that on that road diet. No, well, we, we mimicked the same project on Woodward Heights, and so you okay. see Woodward Heights, which is a main pass-through corridor locally, uh, going east to west in Ferndale. You see a lot of uh, businesses thriving there. It's a former industrial sector, you know, really used to a lot of truck traffic. That's how we treated it for a long time. But mm -hmm. now, you know, there's also residents adjacent to that neighborhood, and so we're treating it differently. And you're seeing traffic slow down. You're seeing more residents walking on the sidewalk, accessing businesses that are now coming in to serve that area not just industrial anymore well and so and, and and essentially what road diets are is they're taking you're cutting down on the the number of traffic lanes there are you're narrowing them and you're widening the pedestrian walkways the bike lanes the the sidewalks right. and and so it does make it a much more pedestrian friendly walkable uh street if you will what's interesting is if you look at like the department of transportation they talk about the number of pedestrian fatalities all the way back to 2016 72 percent of pedestrian fatalities happened at crosswalks where pedestrians are supposed to cross the street but when you install these road diets that number gets cut down by 19% in urban areas, 47% in the suburbs like Ferndale. And so you see from a, if, if you want that walkability, this is a real viable option for your roadway. So what are you doing on Woodward here that would, yeah. would change that roadway and make this a true road diet and then obviously more uh, pedestrian friendly? Yeah, Woodward is a little bit of our previous projects on steroids, right? It's mm -hmm. one, it's a state highway. It's eight lanes. Those eight lanes cut right through the heart of downtown. So Ferndale's experience on Woodward is different than other communities on Woodward. It is our downtown and it's cut in half. So what we're doing is eliminating uh, two of the outer traffic lanes and we are changing some of the on-street parking in favor of adding uh, cycle track lanes, which are two-way bicycle lanes on the outside, uh, on the outer lanes of Woodward now. So what you have is you'll still have six traffic lanes for vehicles but now you're going to have two dedicated bike lanes that accommodate two-way traffic, cycle traffic. 
And in doing so, you're reducing those crossing times, right? You're reducing how long of a distance it is for the pedestrian to cross from one side of the street to the other, which is going to slow traffic down. It's going to reduce crossing times, and it should speak to uh, some of the traffic safety issues that we've seen on Woodward before in Ferndale. So when you're when you're sitting down with the, the the city council and 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 stockholders in the city, and and this idea gets thrown out there in the twenty teens, what considerations do you take into effect? Is it is it just traffic volume? Is it safety? Is it uh, access to to the downtown? What 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 do you look at when you consider a project like this? Well, first you build from your mission and values, and as I said, the city council had already adopted the policy that said we want to be more inclusive and more considerate. So you start with that, and then you look at Woodward. We know the state has a resurfacing plan coming up. That doesn't happen that often. So that, that presents itself an opportunity. And we're able to work with the state to shift their deadline around, which would allow us to go through the hoops that we had to go through. We had to do a traffic study. We had to do a safety study. We, we had to do all kinds of studies and submit those to the state. Uh, via their, They call it a road diet checklist. But we had to submit all that stuff. And, you know, that took about two to three years for them to, to go through. And here we are today. We, we got construction going. What is the obviously you talked a little bit about the, the business impact and, and, and the positive business impact that, we, that you've seen to certain companies, certain businesses, certain eateries, whatever it is. Is the idea here is that d- does Ferndale become more tractable to businesses, restaurants, uh, eateries, whatever? Um, maybe over some other cities in the in the area, just because well, of the walkability factor, because you're going to have more foot traffic in front of your business. I think that's how we view it. You know, I think uh, you know there's been a predominant narrative that you know accommodating vehicle traffic and accommodating a ton of parking is what makes for a successful business environment. And you know, I, I think we disagree with that. We think making a place for people to want to walk, to want to come and stay for a while. Uh, making a place that's inclusive and accommodating to all modes of accessibility, uh, that is what's going to accommodate interest. And sure. interest foot traffic is what's going to accommodate business attraction. And as I said, we are seeing that in, in real time in Woodward Heights on Livernois. And, you know, even I could say on East Nine Mile in front of City Hall. East Nine Mile, you know, they had, we added bike lanes and we slowed down traffic here with traffic islands. And I've, I've seen development. We're looking at about 150 units of residential units that are that are coming online or have come mm-hmm. online since 2016, since we did that. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, as a city manager, somebody who's, who's intimately involved with the city, you, you have to be cognizant of the fact that, yes, you want to attract businesses. You want to make sure people are coming to the downtown areas. But at the same time, I, I have to imagine... It's not all uh, roses. There's probably people that are that have been pushed back uh, uh, on this idea. Have you have you gotten any negative feedback on this or people against it, uh, as you're aware? Sure. You know, elements of change. There's going to be two sides of a coin with change. And there are there's other people with perspectives, uh, you know, concerns about, you know, this slowing traffic down and impeding their commute. Mm-hmm. And I and I hear that and I get that. But, you know, I don't think that Verndale wants to be a city that's designed to accommodate a commute <laughs> sure you know you want, want people to, to stop <laughs> we want you to stop yeah. so you know all due respect and i do uh, while i understand that you know the traffic study shows that we're really only going to slow your commute times which is you know you're looking at between 7 and 9 a.m or between 5 and 6 p.m in, in the evenings mm-hmm. you know the study shows we estimate things to slow down by at most you know 45 seconds to two minutes sure 
But to a commuter stuck at a red light, I recognize that that can feel like forever. Well, and and, I, and, and, and here's the deal. I mean, I think at some point it changes is, is scary and people don't want to alter their day to day. But it's it's just like these traffic circles that have popped up everywhere in this state. You become accustomed to them. You become used to it. And then you work that into your daily routine. Uh, Joe Gacho, uh, appreciate the time and insight. And uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on this project. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the interest. Setting the table for JR Morning next. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right. Just minutes away from JR Morning. Lloyd Jackson's here. Yes, sir. Present. Chris is back. Uh, him and Guy have switched places. A little, uh, little Freaky Friday action <laughs> well, going Freaky on. Freaky Friday action. That's right. <laughs> Good to have you back. How and, you doing? Oh, man. It, you know, I, I, I talked about it in my open. That Miller hearing for Ethan Crumbly oh, yesterday. Horrific. It was. And, and I tuned in and out throughout the day. Yeah. And every time I tuned in, it was just something else more horrific than the, what I saw before. Right. Well, it's like five hours of testimony, too. I mean, yeah. they had, you know, an hour lunch recess. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was a, it was a long haul of a hearing. And, and the information that came out, there was some new information, obviously. A, a lot of new information. But in terms of the amount of gunshots fired and, and, and some of the comments that Ethan made leading up to the shooting that were particularly horrific. Well, uh, number one, I, I don't know if, if this was common knowledge or this came out. I did not know that Ethan Crumbly left his journal on the floor of the boys' room at, at Oxford High School. Yeah. Which shows just how calculated this really was. Oh, yeah. He had been planning this for, they say, at least three months. And let me tell you, I tuned in, and I, you know, it was silent, and they showed the people in the courtroom, and it wasn't a dry eye. People had, you know, right. uh, tish, but they were showing the actual video of yeah. the shooting. Yeah. Well. And it, I, you know, you didn't see it on the stream, of right. course, but... It was, it was, you know, I just fell for those people, man. I really did. Well, the thing that turned my stomach was when they were going through his journal and he wrote that en- entry about how he wanted to record the shootings so that the people in court can watch their children and friends yes. die. And that turned my stomach because it's it's almost like it's it, it's almost like this was the culmination of a sick plan. Um. Because obviously, you know, at this hearing where you're trying to make the case this guy should never see the light of day, you have to show it. Obviously, you have to show it. But but a part of me is like, dang, this is also what this guy wants. Here's my question. And and we're going to ask Todd Flood about this. Mm -hmm. Because there is a fine line, I think, of proving the case as the prosecution. Being able to put forth evidence... To, to to convince, in this case, Judge Kwame Brown, to attach uh, a no parole uh, uh, part of this sentence. Mm-hmm. Was all of this needed? Was all of this needed? Was all of this evidence needed? In totality, did you need to tell the whole story? Or could you just show the journal entries? Saying, well, look, th- this was his manifesto. Mm-hmm. This was his plan. There were no remorse. There were no bad. Fe- he had he had he had no second thoughts about this. So the so the the fact that you have to show the video, I ju- I don't know. I, I just don't know. That's what I want to ask Todd Flood about coming up. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be very interested in his answer because because I would say I I I I I get where you're coming from because because it almost seems 
I don't want to say it seems cruel to show all this in court. But obviously, it's ve- it's 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 very traumatizing for it for is, the families because they're reliving it all over. Right. Again. But I, I would say that if you are trying to make a rock solid watertight case that this guy is beyond rehabilitation, that he's not just some lost child who fell through the cracks, he was pure calculated evil. I I, I think I think you have to do the kitchen sink if you're the prosecutor. So. Um, It'll be interesting to hear what Todd Flood has to say. You know, it's crazy. I mean, Lloyd, I've seen stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, working in this business, in news, you you see stuff. I don't know that I've quite felt the way I have about any story I've ever worked on in my career than I did with that hearing yesterday. No, I agree. It was it was disgusting. It was, and I've been in several courtrooms. Yeah. Uh, local and federal, and I've seen some really bad things. You know, heard them, but to 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 look at the journal, see how he started calculating what he wanted to do, how he was begging his father to get the gun, right, and and then the video and and all of that. That that's that was just. A lot to take in, and then maybe what does this information then do to the parents' case? Right? Maybe you're right when you start when you right. start talking about the totality of the information presented. Maybe then Karen McDonald can go. Well, I, I want to j- look uh, right. point you back to the Miller hearing in this case. Too. And and yeah. and you know what? I'm glad you both pointed that out because I felt that was kind of like a throwaway. Uh, the the part because everything else was so shocking. Yeah. That you know uh, the, the the part in his journal where he said. Uh, talked about the type of gun that he was begging his dad for. Yes. Chris is absolutely right. That that could actually be used could in the ca- case yeah, against the be. parents. So uh, big day here on, on JR Morning. We're going to uh, also try to sort out what the what the heck was happening in court with Donald Trump yesterday. And, and <laughs> <More> oh, charges. <laughs> we think we you have some charge, uh, new indictments. Uh, well, here's some charges for you. We'll be back.